O God of love, who holds all things together in yourself, draw us ever nearer to you and to one another, that all may come into the reach of your saving embrace. Amen. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the rule or the relationship? While the answer to the chicken and egg conundrum still perplexes many, the answer to what takes primacy, either the rule or the relationship, should never have been a matter of confusion but oh, how it has. If you're like me, one of your earliest memories related to your faith is probably memorizing the Ten Commandments. (laughs) This well-meaning pedagogical segue into religious education, however, has had, in my opinion, a detrimental effect upon generations of young minds and hearts. Our first introduction to the idea of God was not of a loving creator who eagerly, even desperately, desires a relationship with us, but of a demanding ruler whose thou shalt nots impressed upon young, impressionable minds a foreboding dread of eternal repercussions. Which came first, the rule or the relationship? For many of us, it was clearly the rule. And sadly, for many still, the relationship never followed. No wonder so many of our churches have emptied and quite ironically have been turned into secular places that foster relationships like restaurants, reception halls, or even homes. How different would our faith formation have been if instead of a list of thou shalt nots, we first heard a list of I am statements, like, I am Yahweh, your God, who will save you and protect you from all harm. I am the bread of life given to nurture you and sustain you. I am the light of the world to lead you and to guide you. I am the good shepherd, here to make you lie down in green pastures. I am the true vine, so that you may know the abundance of joy. I am the resurrection and life, that you may live forever. The history of religion Christianity or otherwise, is marked by a striking contrast that we are only now beginning to clearly see and discern. In this regard, the demise of Christendom 
is a gift and a way, perhaps the only way, forward to an authentic and vital faith. The contrast is between a religion of rules and a religion of relationship. It's between a God whose primary identity is judge and lawgiver, or a God whose primary identity is father and mother and friend. Notice, I said primary, not soul identity. There is a place, a very important place, for rules and regulations in the life of faith. We monks live under several. But rules and regulations were never meant to be considered primary in the life of faith. This would be a form of idolatry and the path toward a way of being religious with deadly consequences, always to one's own soul, and as we have seen throughout history, sometimes deadly to others, those who don't abide by the rules. Sick religion is just this, religion infected by the spirit of judgment without love, without compassion, without grace. Its motive is fear. It operates on threat and coercion, and its end is frustration, anger, numbness, and death. By contrast, healthy religion is grounded in a loving, compassionate God who created us for one purpose above all, to know God as intimately as possible and to bind all creation within the bonds of this love, which, by way, is the etymology of the word religion, to bind together. This type of religion liberates the soul, transcends one's own self-interest, and finds fulfillment in giving one's life away in service and compassion. Its motive is love, it operates on mercy and grace, and its end is what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. This contrast between a religion of rule and a religion of relationship is on vivid display in today's readings. Did you notice the bookends to the Ten Commandments from the passage from Exodus? Or did you go immediately to self-interrogation, questioning how much you're in trouble with God today? But the most important parts of this passage are not the Ten Commandments themselves, but what precedes them and what follows them. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am your God, given over entirely to your well-being, who will do whatever it takes to make sure that you need not live one more day in the bond of slavery, but free, just as I always intended you to be.
And the passage ends with, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin, to which we quickly add, so that you do not sin and go to hell, when God actually implies, so that you do not sin and lose your way and end up in slavery once again. The Ten Commandments in this context are rules to guide us and to keep us close to God. They're at the service of the relationship and not an end in themselves. Jesus of Nazareth came into the world at a time when this delicate balance of rule with relationship in Israel for a complex set of circumstances led to an unfortunate imbalance that emphasized rule to the extreme and all but eclipsed relationship. To explain it simply, the fear of offending God and experiencing another exile from the promised land filled the religious leaders with dread of a wrathful God, who in turn filled the nation with this same dread. Israel had come to see God almost entirely in terms of transaction and quid pro quo, and no longer in terms of covenant and promise. In shocking contrast, Jesus comes along and prophetically denounces this perverted theology of legalism and transaction, and preaches and embodies a theology of love and compassionate service that sometimes, in the eyes of the legislators, broke the rules. The rule-based leaders simply did not know how else to handle who they deemed posed such a threat to the nation's protection from a god of threat and punishment. So they killed him. To be clear, this was not an argument between Jews and Christians. This was an argument between two different versions of Judaism. And Jesus was functioning in this context as a reformer, even a prophet, calling for the recovery of the God of relationship over the God of law. This conflict between rule and relationship is also the context of Matthew's parable of the landowner who planted a vineyard. As an allegory, the landowner is God. The tenants who kill the slaves and the son are Israel's religious leaders. The slaves are the prophets, and the son, of course, is Jesus. The other tenants to whom the landowner ends up giving the produce are the Gentiles, the outsiders. The moral of the story, which Jesus directs toward the religious leaders of his day, is that a warped understanding of God leads to a warped understanding of reality that confuses, in St. Benedict's term, bad zeal from good zeal. It validates prejudice, hatred, and phobias of all kind with a God who justifies them and even sanctions aggression and violence. Bad zeal. 
and is deafened to the voice crying in the wilderness for mercy, forgiveness, and compassion.